everyone, and welcome to Survivor Talks podcast. Survivor Talks is dedicated to a magnitude and multitude of things, but most importantly, it's about giving survivors of sexual violence a chance to be in control of their own experiences, share their journey of coming home to themselves, and having a safe space for conversations like this to happen in the first place. Each episode includes a trigger warning as we dive deep into recounting survivors' experiences, mental health issues, the impacts of rape culture, and so much more. On today's episode, our guest, Celia P., who is the founder of Craven Kitchen Co., will join me in a conversation about the ups and downs of healing from sexual violence and reclaiming back our voice, truth, image, and power. If at any point you need to stop listening or need to take a breather, please do so. What is your definition of healing when it comes to sexual violence? Um, well, for me, when it comes to a personal journey with healing, to me, it looks like forgiveness in yourself. Because when I personally went through my own experience, I blamed myself for a very, very, very long time. And even though I went through the motions of trying to seek help and understanding that, you know, I shouldn't and all of that, it was still this very deep rooted feeling of why did I do that? Why was I there? Why, you know, did I even let myself get into this situation? And I feel like that is just one humongous mountain to climb when you start that healing journey. And when you get to the top, that's when you can really start looking at all the different aspects of how you feel um, afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that for me, it was definitely very difficult to get to that afterwards. Definitely. Um, You know, everyone has the right to feel and claim and process their own experiences when it comes to trauma. Um, And your reactions are obviously different, no matter how... um, you know, high or low they are. Um, Personally, for you, did you ever feel like um, there are other people in your life when it came to your own healing journey? Or were you in control of it for most of it? Um, I, for a long time, it was just me because I didn't, I didn't disclose anything about what had happened to me for a while. Um, So it was mainly, it was just me, it was my responsibility to kind of try to bring myself up from this place that I was in feeling very just strange I couldn't really discern and pinpoint exactly what I was feeling but when I got to the point where I was able to talk about it uh, I relied on my close friends a lot Um, I didn't rely on my family and actually to this day I still don't because it's not easy to talk about the people that you live with your immediate family about these things that happen to you so my friends were definitely pillars in, in, in my healing journey. That's great to hear. Um, I do want to dive back, um, if you feel comfortable sharing, that you mentioned you don't want to share it to your family. So is your family aware that you have been sexually violated? Not, not all of my family. Not all of them. Not my okay. parents, more specifically. Not my parents. Okay. Um, and what is the one thing that's holding you back from telling your parents? Is it like more on the emotional side of things? Or do you feel like they just don't understand like what survivors like feel and experience during their healing journey? Um, I would say uh, it might, it 
it's a couple of things. I feel like the most prominent would be like the emotional side of it, of just knowing that my parents know about that. And now they're looking at me a certain way or, um, you know, maybe even pitying me or maybe even blaming me. I feel like I, I don't, I don't know how they would feel. And that scares me a little bit. And it feels a little bit better to just have them not know than to take that step and tell them about it. Yeah, and that's totally valid, honestly. For me personally, um, I remember speaking to my parents about it a few years ago, and it wasn't even the idea that I wanted to bring it to them personally because I knew like deep down like oh hey you know there's going to be a lot of victim blaming especially coming from like a South Asian family right um because a lot of times in brown families yes. there's like this predator friendly environment that they start to create and you know the fear kind of lingers at the back of your brain where it's like oh my god they're going to victim blame me and I already know like deep deep down that they're going to take the abuser aside um yeah and then when I first yeah I can definitely relate to that yeah it does um I feel like that relates to a lot of people out there where it's like they have like this fear at the back of their mind where they know like their parents are going to blame them and obviously it comes from like that lack of education and you know not having enough resources to educate them but it's like how long can we keep using that excuse to move forward in our own healing journey um you know, coming from a household exactly. where it's like, yeah, coming from a household where it's like you're supposed to be loved and cherished, but like what, immediately when it comes to like sexual violence or like domestic violence or any kind of abuse that happens in like families, it's like suddenly that support, you just know it's going to be turned away and you're going to be left alone. And it takes like a, this huge increase in like your mental health and you start to struggle dramatically by yourself. So yeah, yeah when I first opened up to my parents about two years ago maybe three years ago um it was like bam it's like right there in my face they kept questioning me first they questioned me why I didn't come about it um tell them about it anytime sooner and it's like we're expected to have like this there's like a timeline on trauma and when we can come forward and when we can we when we can't and you see that a lot on the internet maybe you hear it from like your your friend group or just people who you follow on social media I know I spend a lot of time on Twitter so I always see that as well whenever there's like um you know someone who's coming forward about an athlete or a like some celebrity that has um a sexual violence history it's like oh like why are they coming forward now why didn't they come about it anytime sooner and it's just like people don't really understand that we are in control of who we get to tell our experiences to and who we don't get to share it to and it's like we're we're fucked if we share it and we're fucked if we don't because we have to strive we have like that we have to start struggling by ourselves um with like little to no outside support so it started off with like oh hey you know why didn't you tell me about it anytime sooner and then it suddenly unraveled to like a lot of indirect victim blaming where it's like oh hey it was a long time ago forget about it um a lot of the abuse that was inflicted on me were from men in my own family so like uncles cousins brother whatever it was um and then it was like obviously they indirectly told me that they were not at fault and that conversation just led to another whole thing um, I remember back in 2018, a few days before my prom, actually, I was sexually assaulted by an uncle and everyone, some people in my family knew about it, some didn't. But when it came to that, um, 
I was forced to actually confront him about 24 to 40 hours later when I literally did not feel safe. I had left home. I had left home and went to uh, stay in my cousin's place. And my cousin and her mom were actually the one who were like, oh, hey, you should look him in the eye and tell him about it. And at the time I was uncomfortable and I kept questioning myself like, oh, hey, am I strong enough to do this? Am I strong enough to not? And back then, as a 17-year-old as a back then, um, you know, you kind of just start to question like, oh, hey, I'm not strong enough if I don't confront him, right? And I don't want to look like a pussy or like anything like that that comes oh, with um, the healing journey. So I did confront him and it was like the worst thing of my life. Cause I literally just broke down. I was like, you did this to me. And I was like recounting my experiences. And obviously my uncle, he was drunk. He had no idea of what he did and people kept justifying what he did because he was drunk. And it's like, how does that, how is that an excuse for, um, how is that an excuse and how is it justified in our community? So definitely with that victim blaming, um, you start to direct it onto yourself. Like there can be so many people who are supporting you and telling you it's not your fault and they're there for you. But then it's like that one negative person who comes into your life and tells you it is your fault just sticks with you throughout the rest of your life. Right. Right. That, that, that thing you brought up about like how there's like, as if there's a timeline on your trauma, I, Oh my gosh, that was it for me because really I, I don't understand that when you hear news about someone doing something as horrible as sexually assaulting someone, why is it that it, the impact is suddenly lessened just because it was a, a certain time ago? Yeah. That never makes that's never made sense to me at all. You hear about this horrific act and the first thing you're questioning is why the date? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Shouldn't you be questioning the character yeah. of this person? And shouldn't you be starting to question, you know? all of the things that you've been eating up just by looking at all of their social media and whatever, like you don't even know half of these people. And then when I talk, when I say that, I'm talking about the uproar that surrounds obviously celebrities, right? Mm-hmm. When, when certain things like that happen. But yeah, that one line for me has, was always the big question when I, when we would hear about these things, I don't understand why people, um, I don't think people really understand how brutal time is like a a period like that. It worsens the impact for the victim. Mm -hmm. The nerve of having to dig through all of those memories years after memories that you've worked physically and now your body has physically changed because of the way your, your mind has changed, whether for better or worse, unfortunately for some people, and you have to go and, and, and re, re, re-experience that almost to tell your own story. I don't see why the first thing would be for people to doubt and shame and question negatively. I've never understood that. So yeah, I, I right. think that yes. the victim blaming in that sense, in, in the terms of, oh, why did you wait? It's it makes me that's the one thing that I would very much change my perspective of a person on immediately without question 
Yes, <laughs> everything you said was so on point. Um, I don't really understand why people think like um, that there's like supposed to be a timeline on this kind of thing because there isn't. And especially with trauma and healing because they, they coexist with one another. Um, and healing is just such a difficult thing to do. Like you think you've healed and then one morning you wake up and everything just comes at you again and you have to restart the healing journey. And, you know, it doesn't make it easier with all these negative comments that you get and the lack of support when it comes to um, survivors of sexual violence. And people don't even realize this, but psychologically, you know, our brain, it shoves a lot of our, our trauma, like to the back of our, to the back of our brains and mm -hmm. forces us to kind of forget about it and move on with life and survive. Right. That's why we call ourselves survivors, because this is, these are the kind of things that allow us to survive and move on from it one way or another. Um, and our brain does do this thing where it's like oh hey let's avoid about this and not think about it and stuff all our feelings down and it's a survival method um because if you did stop and think about it you would break down right whatever you have to do to survive is okay and necessary at the time but i feel like things like social media and like family and friends is like such a difficult thing to come forward about our experiences and like you know have that negative thought in our brain where it's like oh my god they're gonna victim blame me and you know it can go one way or another I feel like a majority of time that victim blaming is there um and even with like friends um I know I had a friend who victim blamed me and she was uh, one of my closest friends being with her since grade eight and then when I came forward to her about one of my experiences she was like oh my god like she said like a multitude of things um blaming me for why um I had invited a guy over to my place why I didn't say no why he took advantage of me and it was like you know first of all an invite to someone's home is not consent <laughs> that is not equal yeah, consent exactly. at all um invite to someone's car to dinner you know if you're flirting with someone that doesn't equal consent and um the thought that people the thing that people think is like oh hey like this person didn't say no but it's like why does the does the answer always remain yes in the beginning like why do why do men think that the answer is yes to have our bodies available to you you know that's not the case and in terms of like professional help have you ever gone to see a counselor or a therapist or any kind of intensive therapy for you I have not no I've always and, thought about it. I yeah. definitely considered it. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure actually why I haven't gone yet. I'm a big supporter of therapy. So <laughs> I, I think it's very important, but I haven't actually taken that step for myself yet. So do you feel like you need it or is this something that's like, whatever? I think I do. I think that I think that I come from a place that a lot of people do, really, mm -hmm. just, just because of the mistakes the people that came before us made, the things that they might not necessarily know, but did happen and did change the way that I think. And I see it in my own family and I see it with my friends. I see the way that how we were raised directly impacts how we interact with other people in our lives. And not all of it is good because not all of us had the best models to follow. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, therapy has definitely been something that I have always thought about when I think about my own future and how, how I'm going to 
interact with people. Wow. Yeah, I think therapy is a must for everyone. Obviously, some people might need it more than they, you know, than they usually do. Some people might not need it more. Um, I have seek therapy um, about maybe a year ago, and I went from school. So I'm a college student, and I went um, to go do some therapy um, to talk, finally talk about my sexual balance. And I just remember, this is something you're going to hear from a lot of people. I sat down through zoom because everything in person was canceled and I just bawled my eyes out for like 20 minutes and it was like (laughs) I was like trying like I was like stuttering and like trying to make words and I just couldn't like express it it's like so it was such a weird feeling because like for me I'm always so open about speaking about my experiences of sexual violence you know spoken about it with like my friends my family strangers online um and then I've felt that in that moment this was my first time actually talking about it in person, like through my own, through my own mouth. Usually it's through text or it's like through Instagram posts or tweets and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I feel like what the therapist is like this different kind of connection where it's like, you know, they're going to be there for you and you know, they're going to validate your feelings. And I had like that fear in the back of my mind where it's like, oh my God, like, am I ready for this? Am I ready to take that next step and like moving on and finally taking control of my own narrative and my experiences and being in control of my own healing journey instead of listening to all these posts on Instagram and having people share the healing advice to me. Um, So that played like a really big factor. Um, I went for about five sessions and then I stopped because I was experiencing a lot of sleep paralysis, a lot of nightmares, which um, my therapist had explained this is completely normal. So for those of you who are wanting to seek um, some kind of help whether it's through counseling or therapy um it is difficult because they will tell you from the start that almost every after every session that um, is completed you will walk out feeling like complete shit and crap and that's totally normal but for me I wanted to, I didn't want to feel those things anymore right I didn't want to um experience the sleep paralysis and the nightmares and all of these things that were just going hand in hand in one, um, it took a really big emotional dive on me. Um, I have not been to therapy since the last year. I do want to get back into it again because it's like um, one way or another, I want to try to face these things that my body is suppressing and that it's hiding. Um, but yeah, do you feel like um, these are some fears with the like healing journey from professionals? Like maybe sometimes people are going to have like this fear in the back of my mind up the back of their mind where it's like oh hey um, I'm not ready to face what the realities of my my trauma and my healing journey uh, yes I actually I I was reading this thing on TikTok of course because everybody is <laughs> on TikTok um, about how um, when you don't remember certain events from your childhood or mm-hmm. your childhood in general that's generally a sign of a very large block, like a very large trauma block in the mind. And I kind of just stopped because I, I don't actually remember a lot of my childhood and I've never really thought much of it. I just thought I always, I just have a crap memory, which I do. I have a horrible memory. Um, I'm a stoner. We live in Vancouver. It's legal. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so that actually terrified me because th- that that thought of not knowing what I don't remember is is terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. 
what is it that I'm trying so hard to forget? And I like, of course, I know there are things that I've never even talked about that I've been through and this and that, which I would definitely probably have to save for professional therapy. But I, I just haven't gotten over that one, that one thing. It's like, oh, maybe there is a specific reason or specific event that is really preventing me from remembering a lot of my childhood. So when I think about what it would be like to sit down and have someone try to break into those memories, that definitely makes me just hit pause for a second. Um, it, I don't think that I'd be ready to, to take myself apart like that yet. Yeah, definitely. Um, that was obviously, I feel like that's a big fear for a lot of people where it's like, you have like this memory blockage. <laughs> um, and I know I experienced a lot of childhood sexual abuse as well. And I had no idea of it until I started going to therapy and I was like recounting my experiences of a teenager. And then from there, I was started to recount experiences from my child. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened to me. And I was just so like starstruck by it and just so overwhelmed by my bodily response and what the brain does, right? To right. block out all these things, block out your trauma in order for you to survive and keep going in life. Um, and one of the big things is obviously listening to our own thoughts and what we can do about mindfulness and practice really listening what's going on to our mind and listening to our bodies so in terms of um how you heal what are some things that um what are some healing methods and some techniques that you usually do um well I like to keep myself busy and I tend to multitask but only when I'm doing a specific thing so my thing is cooking I'm cooking all the time mm -hmm. but I don't do one thing at a time. I'll have macaroni on the stove, chicken in the oven, a salad going, I'm chopping up vegetables for the next thing. Like I can't just, you know, when I feel like when I'm idling, when I'm not busy doing something, that's when I sit and my thoughts are idle as well. And that's a dangerous place for me. So keeping myself busy with like working or, you know, sometimes even just like, really just scrolling through social media for a while or watching something like a movie, something exciting. Like I really like action movies, like something that's going to keep me kind of like, kind of on my toes. That's mm -hmm. been something that helps me focus and helps me just recenter myself in reality. Because when I'm not, and I have moments where I'm, I don't want to do anything and I'm stuck in bed and I just can't get up. It's, I feel like all of my thoughts hit me at once and I just, they make me feel very heavy. And I that... usually try to process things one at a time. Like if I have a bunch of tasks to do, I know I have deadlines, all that kind of things. I go from the top, like, okay, this is the first thing that I know I need to get done. And then I work my way down. So when I'm, when I, but I'm not in that place where I, I'm on go and I'm working, I'm grinding. That That's my dangerous place. And that's when I know that I've taken a pause or like my healing journey has kind of taken a little, little left turn. Yeah. Yeah, that's 
a big thing that I always do as well. <laughs> um, that's so funny because even for myself, like I've gone to like therapy and see professional help. But, you know, one thing they do is like they try to practice mindfulness with you, right? Try to um, mm-hmm. when you're in a state of like anxiety or you feel like your trauma is going to come out of nowhere and hit you. Um, they tell you to sit down and do like breathing exercises and to meditate and then when you're once you're done meditating to like point out five things that are colorful to you right um that never worked for me um meditation has never worked for me I don't know if it's just me I always felt like I wasn't normal because I feel like I'm the one person who says meditation does not work for me at all um and it can feel kind of like I feel very excluded from the conversation because like I used to follow like all these um a lot of these healing accounts on Instagram and it's like very cliche because they're like oh hey grab a journal you know meditate go for a walk but it's like those things don't help um yeah those things don't help at all and it's like what am I supposed to do so um I do push down all of the unpleasant thoughts that come to mind and it is scary to want to pay attention to them I feel like just like you said I once I'm in bed um I typically listen to music to drown out my thoughts because it's like yo I don't want to sit here like 2 a.m trying to figure out what the hell's going on in my brain and I don't want to face all these negative thoughts um so music is usually the way that I try to tune out all these all these emotions that my I don't want to feel but my body wants it to um and I remember one time I didn't do that and I decided to be like oh hey I'm gonna deal with them and I'm going to capture what my body wants me to feel and sit with it and just let, you know, kind of just let my body sit with it and just see, okay, what is it telling me to do? And it was the most unpleasant thing ever. I found it was kind of scary and disturbing to kind of just sit there and be like, oh my God, like, it was just like a different experience. Like I just, did not want to sit with my thoughts um and again that does tie in with mental health because a lot of the time people keep themselves busy because they don't want to deal with the mental health factor of what all these negative things that our brain is is going to think about um you know and multitasking like you said you usually you're cooking all the time for me I'm always making sure I'm busy um I go to work in the morning I come back and I'll like cook and clean and then I'll go to school and I took my classes on purpose that way when I come back from class I'm like exhausted and I just want to sleep so that way my body doesn't have time to think about all these negative things my mind doesn't have time to think about all these negative things like oh hey you're home at 10 30 go go to sleep right away um exactly yeah and with like counseling and the professional side of things I feel like like there needs to be more more methods and more ways instead of just being like oh hey um sit with your thoughts and meditate because that doesn't always work with everyone um you know people have different ways of healing and everyone's healing techniques are very very um different from like a friend's or what people see on social media about taking like baths and going on these long walks or just taking a nap and brushing their teeth, which is totally valid as well. Like if you do these things, that's totally valid. I feel like there's a more deeper side of these kind of healing techniques that a lot of people who go through sexual violence have to deal with. Yeah, I think so too. I think, um, I do also think like people do say your mind is your worst enemy. So mm-hmm. when we, when 
of course, there are going to be circumstances where people don't have the resources to even see these things like motivational posts on Instagram or, uh, you know, um, resources for therapy and counseling or support groups and stuff like that. Like you turn on yourself. Yeah. I feel like that's where a lot of people end up just not even dealing and not even understanding or being able to process their emotions or feelings about it at all. Totally. Um, And I read somewhere that if you do have an idea of what is actually bothering you, um, you know, there's a lot of professionals out there who do say that you do get more comfortable sitting with your thoughts and working through negative emotions instead of repressing them all the time, right? But it's like a lot of us don't want to go through that that healing journey because it's so scary. It's like we don't want to uncover the worst parts of our of our trauma and try to figure out what else happened to us when if if anything happened to us when we were younger. Wait, sorry, hold on. You cut out a little bit at the end there. Could you repeat that? Yeah, of course. Don't worry about that. I was saying that um for a lot of us, there's professional um, people out there, like counselors, like we said, um, who do tell us that if we have more of an idea of what is actually bothering us and what is getting in the way of us moving forward in our healing journey, um, it does get easy to sit with our emotions instead of just pushing them away. Mm-hmm. And it does get more easier um, with like our healing journey again. But I feel like a lot of the time we don't want to do that because um, we fear, again, the the worst parts of if anything else ever happened to us when we were younger. And a lot of people don't want to deal with that that fear where it's like, oh, my God, what if something did happen to me when I was younger? Um, what is my brain trying to do? Like, you know. Absolutely. How is How is this going to change my life now? You know, some people would very much rather continue on with their march than slow down and, and listen to what's going on. Um, which is unfortunate because I, I definitely think it would help just like the professionals say, yeah, like I definitely think that would help, but it's, I feel like that's, that's the hardest part. And uh. I think that, I think that, um, I think you're right that we do run away from that, that I feel like that's the first thing that, 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 that chases you once you experience something like that. Um, and not yeah. everybody can deal with it yeah. yeah it can be seen as an act of cowardice for a lot of people um but it's like you know in the sense that it is but also in a sense it isn't because people need to understand like this is a fear of not wanting to face the realities of our of our life experiences and the triggers that may come with it right because um this is such a difficult thing but survivors of sexual violence um one of the things that we can do is actually identify some of our triggers that are tied in with our experiences of sexual violence. So for those of you who don't know what a trigger is, it can be an example, can be um, listening to a certain type of a specific song if you were sexually violated and that song was playing in the background, if you were called a certain name and you get triggered by it, or if you're in a certain place at a certain location, if you're around a certain person, if you smell something, that can be a trigger and it can really um, put on your fight or flight mode, right? Um, And a really big one is a lot of women do get triggered um, 
if they can't look their partner in the eyes if they are having sex, right? And I feel like um, people do after some people, especially a woman in this case, when they do get sexually violated, one of their healing techniques um, to reclaim back their power and their body is to have sex, right? They heal through having sex and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I feel like people have a problem again with their healing techniques because um, <laughs> when they see that we're having we know we're engaging in sexual activity and we're having sexual intercourse with multiple men in our lives um, that can be, be, that can be used as an excuse. And again, that victim blaming narrative that come back, that comes back to us. It's like, Oh, Hey, this person is healing through um, having sex with different men. Of course they asked um, for, you know, they asked for it. They deserve to be sexually assaulted because well, maybe they have a prior history and this ties in a lot with sex workers because um sex workers are you know statistically higher of being sexually violated um but they there's not that's not talked about a lot but just in regards of triggers um Celia is there anything that triggers you the most that you feel like just kind of puts on your fight or flight mode um I can't say I've ever pinpointed anything specific um but I do, I did notice that after my own experience, I was very, very anxious in crowds. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I feel very, um, unless of course, and yet like if I'm drinking or if I've smoked a certain amount of weed, <laughs> I feel a little bit better, mm-hmm. but I absolutely could not be sober if I was standing in the middle of a crowd, even of like people dancing. Like I like to go out and dance and go out with my friends to different events and stuff. Um, just, I feel like I, it does tie into my experience because I was out and drinking and having a very good time at a party right before my experience. So I think that might have been one thing, but mm. I've never actually really identified like, oh, this triggers me, that triggers me. Like, that's the only thing that I've really known that was a significant thing for me that changed. And in that sense, do you feel like your body may have maybe like repressed a lot of the triggers or just just like a, like you just don't have triggers like at all? Um, I feel like, yeah, they might be. Um, I feel like that might, I think that's part of, I, I just, I don't really, I would say I just don't pay attention to it. Like mm-hmm. I don't, um, I don't interact with a lot of people what, that I don't know. And I think that helps because it, it kind of lessens the, how would you say like it there's no room for surprise I guess like yeah I don't I I generally know what I'm gonna talk about with someone or I know them so I know how they're gonna talk to me and and yeah when that changes I it is sometimes scary Mm -hmm. I think yeah change in general is I don't really like to I don't really like to keep a routine per se but at the same time, I don't like the things to be just without explanation. That's totally valid. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. I think that, um, you know, I feel like sometimes our body does suppress these things and that's totally okay. 
And whether you have triggers or not, that doesn't mean like you're broken, right? You're not a broken person. Um, and again, with healing progress and healing after sexual violence is not linear. And people need to remember that healing, the healing journey isn't linear, right? There's a whole circle of things that we go through and it can be frustrating to do all the quote unquote right things such as going to therapy and practicing your definition of self-care and to identify what makes you feel um safe and unsafe and you can still feel really guilty about it but you know for a lot of us you are going to be triggered at times for the rest of your life and that can be a really difficult thing to hear but i personally just feel like it's super important to remind yourself that having triggers is totally okay. And, you know, you're obviously people who have been affected by this. They're not alone in this journey. And being sexually assaulted is probably the most traumatizing thing that a person can go through. Any kind of abuse is traumatizing. Um, and just because we get these triggers or if we get these flashbacks in life that our brain has repressed for the longest time or if um, you know we start getting a little mental health relapse in our lives doesn't necessarily mean that we haven't healed or that we're never going to heal and you know this progress of this healing journey is just stupid and difficult and that we should throw it out away um because again, that all ties into what we see on social media and people's experiences with their own healing journey, right? People's healing journey is so different, is so different from everyone else's. And just because we see someone else who has it so well, um, that's only what they share on social media. We really don't know what's behind the curtains of the things that they face and the things that they have experienced in their life and the reality of their own life of what they've gone through to get to what they are today. Um, and just being perfect in general, like there's this goal, there's always like this thought where it's like, oh, hey, in order, we know we've healed if we are bound to be perfect one day. And I feel like that's just complete garbage. Like no one is expecting right. you to be perfect, right? No one's expecting you to be fully healed. No one ex is expecting a lot of these things um, that are thrown at us. And I think it's just super important to be in control overall healing journey to be in the driver's seat and to be in control of what we feel like our body needs and doesn't need absolutely absolutely I agree and with that um we are going to conclude on this podcast episode so I just want to thank Celia for being my guest and I recommend you guys also go check out her cooking account, Craving Kitchen. Is that what it's called? Craving Kitchen, right? Craving Kitchen Co. Yes. Craving thank Kitchen so Co. But yeah, thank you so much, Celia, for joining me on this episode of Healing. I really appreciate everything that we've talked about, everything that we have recounted from our own experiences and using that as a prime example in this episode. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated this. And this kind of felt like a little mini therapy session for me. So I really appreciate <laughs> the time. <laughs> thank, you, thank you. Yay, of course. <laughs>